Hey Sentinel Warriors, thank you for joining us for part two of our first episode. This is Lieutenant Emily Seaton from 20th Air Force Public Affairs, and you are listening to 2420, where you can get information from 20th Air Force leaders in about 20-ish minutes, delivered on the 20th of each month. Similar to part one, Chief Orff and the Command Chiefs discuss their unique path to leadership and tips along the way. Hey, uh, Chiefs, thanks for joining me this afternoon uh, for the, I guess, the first annual 20th Air Force podcast. Hopefully this catches on as we go about this and uh, we'll, maybe we'll get some topics from the field to talk about as a collective group. But I think for this first one, it might be good just to maybe introduce ourselves to the command and uh, just talk about you know how we got where we are, maybe talk a little bit about leadership, what we think of leadership. So first, maybe we'll just go around the room. I'm Chief Charles Orff, the Command Chief at 20th Air Force. I am uh, Mike Becker. I'm the Command Chief at Malmstrom Air Force Base. Chief Master Sergeant Adam Gagne from the 582nd Helicopter Group. Chief Kaki Kreider from Minot Air Force Base. Chief Nicholas Taylor from FE1 Air Force Base. What's up, y'all? I'm Steph Cates from the 377th Air Base Wing here at Kirtland. Here at Kirtland, yeah, yeah, that's. I guess I should have said that. We're, yeah, the first one we are kicking off here is at Kirtland Air Force Base. We just wrapped up our senior leader conference uh, for the spring as we prepare for the rest of the fiscal year and also the senior leader conference we're going to have at General Cotton. You know, I think one thing we can maybe kick off with is we often get, I don't know about you all, but I often get asked when I get to speak with airmen, particularly new airmen in the Air Force, either at first-term airmen centers or just going around talking to different airmen at work centers is, hey, chief, what did it take to become a chief? Or how did you become a chief? Or what do I need to do to become a chief? And so I know everybody's path's a little different, but maybe just maybe some lessons learned that you could maybe pass on and just some philosophy about thinking about that, I guess, uh, in your Air Force career of being a chief or wanting to be a chief. Just what are your guys' thoughts about that? Charlie, uh, Nick Taylor here. I'll I try and chime in on this one. I don't think my path to get chief of traditional, we know f lessons for me are I did things that I was passionate about. When I joined the Air Force, I ended up in supply. Not exactly what I wanted to do. I actually wanted to be a cop, but uh, I was colorblind, so I couldn't be a cop. So uh, I ended up working in the warehouse. You know, and I remember the MTI recruiting team traveling around to the base, and uh, I wanted to do something exciting. So I uh, went to the, uh, hear the recruiter talk about being an MTI. I uh, thought it was pretty cool. I said, put me in, coach. And uh, that was a story. I went to be an MTI. Uh, spent four years doing that. It was exciting. I uh, loved every bit of it. And I was passionate about doing it, you know. Uh, so I re really, really enjoyed it. So I, I would say a lesson is do something that you're passionate about, right? I was passionate about being an airman, but I needed something more exciting. And so a lesson for me is, you know, doing something that you can connect to and you can find purpose in has been a, les a lesson to me. Yeah, great answer. I think one thing I've learned is, you know, people always ask, is there a path or a certain course that you need to take? And my answer is yes, and it's your path. Yep. What, what are you passionate about? What, you know, what do you want to do? What do you want to make your Air Force career? I mean, there's some things that may be a little bit out of your control, but, you know, one thing I always heard growing up was, hey, you need to have your education, need to have your bachelor's degree and I got my bachelor's degree oh my goodness I think seven years after I made chief and so I don't think there is a certain path I think it's your own path and like what you said Nick it's about what are you passionate about what are you motivated about that will drive you to do excel in whatever you're doing which is going to make you look a little bit different than your peers that may help. Nick hit on something that I think is probably going to be common around this table as we all answer this question in that don't say no to opportunity. That is kind of the one common denominator because there is no common path to chief. 
Some people get promoted really quick through the NCO ranks and then stagnate. Some people are the exact opposite. But the one thing that I think successful people in the Air Force all have in common is the fact that when opportunity was there, they didn't shy away from it. They, they accepted hard jobs, hard assignments, and, and succeeded in them and made it easy for their bosses to take care of them. Uh, piggyback on that, Mike, I appreciate that because I came in the Air Force after a stint in the Navy and a break in service, and, and I got in the air crew world, and the, the world, the Air Force revolved around my airplane as far as I was concerned. And I was stuck in a, stuck in a bubble, a stovepipe, and I was in a rut, and I got in a disagreement with one of my supervisors. I went back to my desk, and there was a job opening for protocol. I didn't know how to spell protocol. I had no idea what it was, but at that moment, I was scared, but I took a chance, and it changed the trajectory of my career. If, if I hadn't taken that job, I think I would still be in the KC-10, flying the line, or retired by this point. So that, that's a fantastic point, is don't be afraid to step outside of your comfort zone and do something that challenges you. Um, or you might be afraid of. You just have to take chances. Yeah, this is uh, Chief Gagne, uh, again from the helicopter group. So similar situation. Um, I, two distinct situations that I remember, right, is in my first flying unit, I was a tech sergeant, and they needed a flight chief. And in the unit, they usually had master sergeants fill the flight chief role, but we were short on master sergeant Manning at the time. And so right place right time they asked me to step up and be a flight chief and i did and, and i learned so much from it and then a, another opportunity kind of similar situation at at the uh, first helicopter squadron at andrews is a senior mass sergeant senior enlisted leader retiring they didn't have a senior mass sergeant to backfill so they asked me as a master sergeant to fill that position as well so a lot of it is um right place right time and I used to think, man, I was really, I've been really lucky to be in a certain place when a, a good position opened up. But, you know, the more I think about it, I think I've heard a definition called uh, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So I would just encourage people to uh, make sure you're prepared to step up into those roles and also be on the lookout for those opportunities to step up as well. Yeah, and like Charlie said, I don't agree that there's one path. There's so many of us. We're all individuals. So, you know, to use an old saying, bloom where you're planted. Be yourself. Be the best version of yourself. Continue to push yourself to grow, like the other chiefs have mentioned. But at the end of the day, you got to follow your own path and be who you are because that's what the Air Force needs. So I'd, I'd just say bloom where you're planted. Yeah, I mean, I think we can all agree there's not one specific path to becoming a chief master sergeant or what a quote-unquote chief master sergeant should look like. But... Maybe one thing we can have common ground on is I, I, I think we all know that we probably didn't get here by ourselves. There's probably somebody we looked up to, admired, either that guided us or we consider a mentor or just somebody that made a difference in our career. Maybe one of you or all of you maybe would like to maybe just talk about that individual and, and what about them inspired you or continues to inspire you in your Air Force career. I go first, so Chief Guy again. I can think of multiple people who were mentors, but I just didn't know it at the time, right? They didn't step up and say, hey, I, I'm so-and-so and I'll be your mentor today. But, <laughs> you know, looking back, you just, you really appreciate all the mentorship and grooming that people put into you that you, you don't even know is really happening. You just, they help you figure out how to move forward, how to take care of certain situations. I mean, I could name a dozen people right now that helped me out, and, and I owe them a debt of gratitude for being where I'm at today. 
So I don't think mentorship has to be as rigid as sometimes we, we see. Like, you know, we have these programs in my vector. You can ask people to mentor you. I, I think we heard it this week. A senior officer talked about getting a mentor who's a couple of grades above you. My best mentorship experiences have come at the peer level. And I think what's important is you have to be open and honest with whoever you're, you're talking to about your career progression. And you need to find those people that you trust and that you can tell anything to. And those for me have always kind of come at the exact peer level. And it's, it's been very helpful. Mike, I think you hit someone in the head and you talked about trust. It's about relationship, uh, I would say. And so for me, my very first supervisor, Senior Airman Bruce Williams, now retired Master Sergeant Bruce Williams. When I first joined the Air Force, I was rough around the edges. You know, I was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. And what I loved about my first supervisor, he embraced me with open arms. I, I didn't feel judged because, you know, joining the Air Force, it, it was, I was going to something that I was unknown about, and when I joined, everyone didn't look like me and the shop that I went in. But I would say to my supervisor, who didn't look like me, embraced me very, very well. You know, and I would say the first time I really understood what a mentor was, probably when I was a master sergeant. My first mentor, I would say, was uh, Chief Master Sergeant Robbie Robinson. He actually was a medical, a dental chief. When I became a first sergeant, I met him in my squadron. And uh, what I loved about him was his character. So for me, when we talk about mentor, you know, it's not just what you do at work, but it's how you carry yourself, how you interact with people. And so uh, it was his character that stood, stood out to me. Yeah, Chief Kreider here. Um, I didn't seek or have any idea of what mentorship was for a long time. I had it all figured out. I didn't need any help as far as I was concerned. And, and, and to be honest, I fell behind my peers because of it. I was, I was going to blaze my own path and do my own thing. And it took retired Chief Brian Burns out of Travis Air Force Base that noticed I was a stubborn knucklehead and kind of took me under his wing subtly to see if I would even open up. And, and I did. I was mesmerized by the guy's knowledge and experience and how he approached other airmen. Um, and he was a civilian working in the wing, but I respected his reputation as a flyer. And along with taking that protocol job, he changed the trajectory of my career. I wouldn't be here without him. And I wish I would have known that. I wish I would have known the value of a mentor earlier. Um, if I could pass anything on, I would I would tell young airmen to find someone that you connect with because it's about connection and, and grow and learn from that person because they have all the experience and knowledge in the world to pass on. Yeah, that's great stuff. You know, I, when we talk about someone who inspired you, I, I had to pull out my phone and Mike can see me looking at it here. Is I got a contact in my phone, Master Sergeant Alan Chris. Master Sergeant Alan Chris has been retired since 2001, but he's still in my phone as Master Sergeant Alan Chris because that's just how much I respect him as an individual and as a leader and somebody who just always, no matter what scenario, on duty, off duty that I saw him on uh, or saw him in, the individual just emulated the core values and it was just something that I wanted to be a part of. You know, one thing I think we forget about or don't think about, maybe it's, it's um, subliminal, something we don't think about is the folks that are mentors to us that aren't necessarily somebody we actually physically come in contact with. You know, I'll, it'll, I'll, it'll sound weird, but somebody who inspires me has been dead for almost 40 years, and that's Walt Disney. Just from the fact of how he thought about leadership, how he thought about his organization, how he thought about establishing climate and culture uh, in an organization and values. And so I think, you know, as we think about what mentors, coach, and people that inspire us, just what are, uh, who are those individuals that maybe we can just learn from in life? just through life examples of how they do things. We talk about Air Force careers, mentors, but I'm sure all of us maybe at one time or another thought about, is this really what I want to do? Mm -hmm. You know, is it, was there ever a time any of you thought about separating or, you know, and, and I guess what, what inspired you to keep going? Yeah, so go ahead, Mike. I, oh, go ahead, Steph. Sorry. I was going to get out uh, after my first enlistment and go to culinary school. 
although I don't really have a talented cooking bone in my body, I just thought that sounded like something. Uh, I guess I was getting, I enjoy food and I enjoy different types of food, so I thought, well, maybe I'll just do that for a living. Um, and truthfully, I just didn't do it because at the time I didn't have a great plan. And so I thought, well, I'll just do one more re-enlistment. And then that was it for me. So I, uh, 25 years later, here I am. Very happy I did that. But yeah, I think I would guess we all go through some sort of existential, you know, up and down over the years. I don't think, um, I don't know very many airmen who are just 100% committed on day one and stay 100% committed every day until the day right. they retire or separate because you just grow. Your life changes, your values change, your conditions change. And so, yeah, I never thought about getting out again after that first enlistment. But uh, the first time I went to re-up, I, I was on the fence about it, but I'm, I'm definitely glad I did. So mine was, you know, my plan, probably like most of us, was to do one enlistment and right. punch out. Yeah. My situation was a little different. My career field found itself involved heavily in the war in Iraq right around the time that I was coming up with my first enlistment, and I thought for about a second and a half before I re-enlisted. And then the next 12, 15 years were just an absolute blur. Right. Never had mm-hmm. to think about it. My moment when I was ready to leave was when I was I was truly struggling to make chief. I felt, and again, this is this is one of those those moments where you really have to be honest with yourself. And I hadn't been honest with myself. I started to come to realize that maybe I'm not who I thought I was. And I was sitting there, and I opened up my my laptop computer after I found out I did not make chief, um, and I started looking at jobs. And I, and I started looking and taking tests and things, and I was sitting there because I was so angry. I felt so disappointed and angry. And I was staring at my computer for a while, and then I closed, and I was like, nope, I am not getting out. I am not going to retire when I am eligible. I am going to try this again. Um, and then the next year, everything happened for me. And, right. and I would not, truly, wouldn't be in this room with these people. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. My family wouldn't be where they are if I hadn't made that decision to close the laptop. So that's, that's where I was. I had, a, I had a moment of honest self-reflection. One of the hardest things we have to do is to be honest with ourselves. You can put up a front, make yourself somebody who you are not to the people around you, but it's really difficult to lie to yourself. So once I realized I was who I was, I was gonna be who I am, and you know the rest of the Air Force could just deal with it. Right. Um, and that's when I found success and decided my commitment to stay in. I beg to differ just a little bit in the fact that I think, I think it's actually very easy for us to lie to ourselves, and we do it all the time. I didn't just think about separating. I separated. I spent six years in the Navy, and I pulled the trigger. I loved my time in the Navy. Tight unit. It was a family. But I, I never had anybody help me, right, the lack of mentor, if we go back to that. I never had anybody help lay out a path or a plan for me, and I, I, I decided to take control of my own future. And I got out, and I separated. I was out for six years. I was living in Lincoln, Nebraska, building houses with a buddy of mine, sitting in the job site one morning before we started the job when 9-11 happened and the towers went down. And that's when I did a lot of self-reflection, looking back over the previous six years, and I, and I realized the things I had, I had missed and the things I had taken for granted, things I didn't recognize that were important to me in my time in the service and that camaraderie and that family. And I found myself in Omaha at the MEP station, and six weeks later I was driving on the Kirtland Air Force Base with a special set of orders, everything I owned in my pickup and my dog. And I, I'd like to say I never looked back, but I hated the Air Force. I tell this to all my ALS students and F-tackers. I did. I hated it. I walked into a unit that, that did not have a sense of family. And so what I thought I was getting back into wasn't there. Probably one of my first mentors was my neighbor who was a flight engineer on 53s here at Kirtland. And he talked about a three and a five-year plan and a 10-year plan and what my future looks like. And do I want to go back to the civilian side? And 
I didn't. I applied to retrain. I spent the next 10 years flying around the world on the KC-10, falling in love with the Airmen, falling in love with the Air Force, and I've never looked back. And a lot like Mike, I, I would not be here in this room if it weren't for those those individuals who made me reflect and made me, made me be honest with myself and where I currently was in those situations. And best thing ever happened to me. That's a great story, shipmate. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, what about you, buddy? Oh, man, that was deep. That was, that's hard to follow. I, I was going to take it a little bit different direction. So when I think about that question, I had thought seriously about going guard or reserve, but mostly guard because I really like the idea of the dual mission, right? So you got the state mission, and then you still support the federal mission as well, especially being in helicopters. I like the idea of supporting your state and emergencies and whatnot. And I'll be honest, I think probably because of laziness on my part, just getting confused about their retirement system, um, that I didn't pull the trigger on that. But And obviously, I encourage people to stay in active duty, but you know, if, if especially if you, you want to do something else but not do the military full-time, I'd encourage people to really consider, if you separate active duty, looking into the Guard or Reserve and continuing service. I know a lot of people in those organizations that love it. So that, that was my biggest time that I thought about separating active duty. Chief Taylor here again. Um, I thought about getting out, uh, I think it's natural, probably for the first several years. You know, um, I was young. I wasn't really understanding what I was doing and I didn't know what it really mean to serve. And so a few times I thought I was getting out, but I'll tell you when I look at what made me stay was really people I met along the way. They were better than my natural family. And so I knew I had nothing to go back home to and no connection. So this was a much better option, but I think it's natural for you to go back and forth, uh, you know, being 18 to 26 years old. I think that's a natural thing to do. Well, I can just say, Nick, uh, I'm glad you're a part of the family. Well, thank you. Hey, I know we're, we're about out of time here for the first uh, podcast here of 20th Air Force with the Command Chiefs, but I guess maybe if we could go around and maybe in a quick sentence uh, or two at the most, you know, ho our hope is that this reaches some of the junior airmen in the command, and I guess if you could go back and tell your junior airman self something, uh, looking back on your 20-plus year career now in the Air Force, what would maybe that one thing be? Anybody want to take a crack at that? Yeah, so I've thought about this a lot over the years, and, and what I would tell my younger self is it'll all be okay. Take a deep breath. I'm the type of person who takes things very seriously. I want to do things really right, and et cetera. Uh, but the reality is that can be a hard way to treat yourself sometimes, and, and uh, just take a deep breath. You'll end up where you're meant to be, and it'll all be okay. That's what I would say. Yeah, I I, I agree. Positive outlook. Brigadier General retired. Now Dr. John Michelle uh, has a book out called The Power of Positive Thinking. And you have a choice every day of how you decide, how you choose, and where you choose to invest your emotional energy. And I was very reactive as a younger person. I wish I could tell myself to, to take pause and allow yourself the ability to respond versus react to situations because there you give other people the benefit of and the, and the opportunity to respond to you versus react. So positive outlook on life and just pause. Find your passion is what I would say. Um, there's lots of things you could do in the Air Force. Just because you're in, you're in one AFSC doesn't mean you have to spend your whole time there. That's a great point. Uh, be authentic. Be you. Uh, the Air Force needs you to be you. Don't try to be anyone else is, is what I would say. And uh, invest your money early, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Find mm -hmm. someone to talk to you about money. 
Amen. You know, and understand money. Uh, on all on the officer side, they get a lot of talking to, lots, lot of opportunity. And on the listed side, we don't get as much. So invest your money. I'll go back and tell myself that. Yep. Invest your money. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I'll circle back. I think we talked about it on the first question. I just say step outside your comfort zone as much as you can. That's what helps you grow and develop in the areas that you're weak in. I would say talk less, listen more, mm. and don't start smoking. <laughs> that's going to be hard to close on. Invest your money. You guys all kind of hit on what I was thinking of. And for me, looking back at my Air Force career as a young defender, for me, I think it was uh, don't pass up an opportunity. I think you said it earlier, Mike. But for me, I think it would be just don't pass an opportunity. Don't pass up an opportunity. Adam, I think you just mentioned about being reactive. Be proactive with yourself, your career. Think about your education. It's not about getting a degree or checking a box. It's just about making yourself better. I look back at how much time I spent just doing dumb stuff in the dormitories or whatever <laughs> on the weekends what? and just how much time I wasted. I mean, I came into the Air Force because I considered myself I was on the 10-year college plan. I was never going to graduate from college taking philosophy and three physical education courses. So I come in the Air Force and, you know, I don't get my bachelor's degree till 14 years later. And so... Uh, I wasted all that time and so just uh, think about and we, we are so good as Americans at looking at the 25 meter target and not looking at the 100 meter target and every once in a while to your point pause man and, and look at the 100 meter target and kind of have a map of what you want to do and set some goals work to those goals versus the weekend yeah, yeah. absolutely well hey I appreciate it Chiefs thanks for your yeah. time it's been an honor to spend the week with you it's been an honor to spend the last 20 plus minutes with you and look forward to the next one Thank you so much for listening to 2420. Hopefully between the commanders and chiefs, it is clear that everyone has their own unique journey and they didn't get to where they are on their own. Join us for our next episode, May 20th, where we dive deeper into becoming a leader because everyone is human and has had to develop as a person along the way. See you next time.